Have you ever wondered what it's like to experience one of the oldest rainforests as a blind person? Or how it feels to get around one of the seven wonders of the world with mobility issues? You're listening to Accessed That, a podcast that explores what it's really like to travel as a person with a disability, like me. I'm Carney Liddell. And I'm Oliver Hunter. Each episode, we send a travel lover on an adventure around Queensland and then we get them in the studio to have a chat. We ask them what it's like for them to navigate the world, hearing the highs, the lows and the lowdown from people who have been there. Access that. This podcast is presented by Queensland. Before we get going, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording and the country we love to travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I would especially like to pay my respects to the First Nations people living with a disability. Hey Ollie, how cool was today's guest? And I actually know her. Yes, our guest today is uh, Beth O'Brien. And Beth has a PhD in social psychology. And I didn't understand what that was. uh, And she was very... (laughs) gracious and generous in explaining what she did and some of the work she does in her day-to-day life and also was a great insight into how she travels. It just means she's a little bit smarter than both of us put together. She's also been on ABC News Breakfast and she does a lot of advocacy work and works very, very high up in education and she's an electric wheelchair user like me. So that was a good piece yeah. of information that you found out. Yeah, I didn't realise that you had uh, you were a double wheelchair uh sort of owner. You had a travel wheelchair. I'm battling along here like I planned with one and, and you're getting around with two, so good on you. Uh, but Living yeah. the dream, mate. Yeah, I think yeah. it was my, it's my guns that you think. You look yeah. at my guns and you think, well, there's no way she needs an electric wheelchair with yeah. those guns. But it was also fascinating to me that you're both electric wheelchair users, but you, your needs and what you require for to make things accessible are extremely different. And Beth gave us great insight into what she needs um, and how she can make it easy for herself. That's right. So she can tell it way better than we can. So enjoy the episode. So Beth O'Brien, aside from being my friend, <laughs> I've watched you from afar at uni um, and I've watched you from afar on stage doing your thing, emceeing and speaking. But you are a psychologist or a social psychologist by trade. Tell me a bit about yourself aside from all of those wonderful things I've just mentioned. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I'm not the fun type of psychologist. I can't help people in a clinical setting with their problems. But um, yeah, my background is I have a PhD in social psychology. And yeah, so that's really one of the reasons I guess I'm really interested in understanding the way that human behavior and the people think about things interacts with my disability advocacy work. Um, So trying to put that lens on how we can do work that helps people to understand the challenges that people with disability face, but also all of the values and opportunities and um, knowledge and strengths that we bring as well and try and think about how we can use our platform to help people better understand that to give us more opportunities. So yeah, I guess that's my background. People often say that we have lived experience of disability. That's a new thing that we've started to say in the last, I don't know, five years. But I always call it a PhD. I've got a PhD (laughs) in disability. You've got an actual PhD, but you also do have a disability. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that because I am not going to try and pronounce your disability. That's why I'm asking you to tell us about it. (laughs) Yeah, so 
called um, diastrophic dysplasia. So it's a rare form of dwarfism. So I'm short statured, like people with the most common form of dwarfism, mitochondrioplasia are, but also I have um, additional issues that are related to my condition, like um, more cartilage growth. So my fingers, I don't have knuckles that, um, so they don't bend in the middle and it just has complications for the way your musculoskeletal system develops. And so I use a electric wheelchair full time and yeah, so have very short arms and legs. So it makes it more difficult to reach things and um, things like that as well. And how does Beth, because uh, we're both, Carney and I are in manual chairs, what sort <clears> of... <throat> um, <clears throat> Excuse me. What, Ollie, oh, I'm not in a manual chair. You're in a power assist chair. Is that <laughs> I'm glad the... that you think that I'm strong enough. Thank you very much for believing yeah. that I could actually push a manual chair. Yeah. It, I did once do that, and let me tell you this, it wasn't pretty, and I used to be called Princess of the Paralympics because I used to have a pusher because nobody yeah. realised that my arms were affected. But thank you. I am an yeah. electric wheelchair user. But Oh, so you consider your chair because it's got the power things on because you're what, what I would say is a manual chair to look at. Oh, yeah, and that's the, yeah. And that's the beauty of those power assist wheels. It makes me yeah. look like I'm as strong as Kurt Fernley because yeah. I'm using power assist wheels, but I generally – I only use that wheelchair when I travel, and then currently I'm on a in a joystick chair. Oh, okay. I didn't there. I didn't know that. There. Okay, that's interesting. I guess the the question I have about your I guess day to day life there, Beth, with your electric chair. How have you seen the development of the uh, electric chairs over time? Because I mean, I used to be I used to have one very briefly when I was about twelve or thirteen. I went to high school with one. And then I ran it into a wall and broke my leg, and then I cracked it and said, <laughs> "I'm not going to use one of them again." Because it was big and bulky and I didn't have the confidence. So how, I guess, they developed as a piece of technology and, and a, like usability over, over the years. Yeah, it's probably not a topic on which I'm overly optimistic or have a lot of positive things to say. Yeah. I think that some people who are electric wheelchair users would have had better experience with them improving over time. Um, but I think for me, as someone who needs an electric wheelchair but is a very small person, it's been worse. So I actually just got a new chair. I just got it back from its third round of modifications this week and I don't think it's as good as my previous chair. The only ex better thing it does is that it raises. I don't know if you've, you've yeah. seen those mm. ones that go up and down, um, which is good. It's not just a gimmick. Like it's good for things like when I'm cooking at the stovetop, it means yeah. that I can raise myself up to be at a safer level so my face isn't in the flame, which my <laughs> OT is very happy about. Um, but other than the up and down, it's worse battery life. It's not – I don't think it's made as well. It's um, – because, yeah, they just, from what I understand, they've put advancements into chairs that are like more, um, they're better for off-roading and stuff like that. But when you want a small chair, when you're a small person, like you said, you, you know, chairs are big and bulky, right? And when you're already the smallest person in the room all the time, unless someone has a baby, then you don't want a huge chair because you can't navigate your spaces. You know, you yeah. can't navigate your home, you can't 
get into a lift at work that's small. You can't go to meetings in small rooms where you've got to, you know, navigate yourself up to the table around desks. It's just impossible. We want the truth. I think it's really important because there'll be so many people out there like us. When our electric wheelchairs, because they are electric and therefore they have a battery like a computer and a phone, when they break or we need some kind of help, and everything in my life is electric, electric door, electric hoist, there is no one to call, literally. And if you do call them, they'll say, we'll come out or bring bring it in, bring it, just pop in, pop in and bring it out to some place in the middle of nowhere. And we might be able to get a part in six weeks, six months, a year, and then do another OT report, which is $1,800. And then that OT report, and you can't get an OT. Let's, let's be honest here about the challenges around this, because the exhaustion involved with this affects us in every day of our lives because we have nothing left to travel. We have nothing left to go for a job. We have nothing left to to do all the other things that we want to do. No, even to navigate your own home. I mean, once my chair's broken, you know, I stand at 96 centimetres tall. I cannot, I'm lucky enough that I can walk a little bit, but I cannot reach anything in my apartment. I can't reach the fridge. I can't reach the taps. I can't get into bed. I can't use the bathroom, nothing. So you're just stranded. Yeah. And I love how there's, there'll be a common theme in all our podcasts. Every single person we've interviewed has used the word lucky with everything that, that we are given or do that to do with what we deserve and need to live. Like you said, you're yeah. lucky about a walk. I say I'm lucky about a walk. And then yeah. Ollie says, I'm lucky I can push a manual chair. It's, inter- it's just an interesting yeah. observation that we mm. are so scared to say anything too negative or too truthful because everyone's going to think, oh, gosh, another whinging person mm. with a disability but not whinging we just want people to understand that it's it's it there is a side to disability that's really tough and it doesn't have to be tough I think we also say that because well I, I'm sure you two are the same but for me but when everything is hard you do feel lucky for the things that you can do whereas yeah. I don't think other people have to think about that so often because they everything's mm. automatic whereas for us because everything is a challenge you know, when I go to the gym, I feel lucky that I'm strong enough to go to the gym, whereas I know some people can't. So I do think we we learn to have that understanding of how hard things are and so feel really lucky for the things we can do. Yeah, you're right. And we've all also, I mean, I've, I've been fully in a wheelchair full time over my lifetime and it is it is a very different life. Yeah. Mm. I, I'm interested too, Beth. What's the relationship with you and travel? Yeah, so I've had the electric chair since I was six. So when I was young, I used to travel quite a lot with my parents. And I think that it was always really challenging. But we had, you know, I was a child. So I'd just get, you know, lifted and carried and thrown over there and put there when I needed to. And so we kind of, it was probably really challenging for my parents, but we just navigated it together. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to lots of countries and then I continued that when I was a young adult and I had a lot more energy. So I travelled a few times with friends to Europe and um, to America and stuff like that and it was, you know, it was always challenging but I think because I was at that stage of life where I had a lot of energy and I was pretty optimistic and I kind of just took it all in my stride and if I couldn't get in somewhere, we'd just go somewhere else. But as I've got older um, and I lack a bit of that energy and optimism now, I find, and I think especially with COVID, like not travelling during COVID because I um, isolated myself for quite a long time to make sure I didn't get sick, um, I really lost that, um, I guess, 
the persistence that I needed to travel and I haven't done a lot of traveling since then and it kind of made me really anxious and apprehensive about especially getting back on a plane so I actually went down to Sydney earlier this year and took a train all the way from Brisbane to Sydney and it's not one of those nice trains it's not like when I went to Japan and you're on the Shinkansen and it's all lovely and the food's great and it's comfortable and the scenery is beautiful actually the scenery was nice but this was old rickety train <laughs> that wasn't that good spot for the chair really uncomfortable seats like a bit stinky and not that nice, but I just was so motivated to not get on a plane that we decided to get the train there and back. So I think my relationship with travels changed quite a lot as I've kind of, yeah, got older and after COVID. So what is it for you and uh, your travel experience that why you're so, I guess, eager to avoid air travel and airports? Yeah, it's the whole package really. So as I know you guys will have talked about between you, the two of you and with other guests, the hardest thing is having your chair taken away and not being able to trust that you'll get it back when you need it and that it will come back to you not in a damaged state. So I guess that's probably the biggest thing um, and the length of time that you don't have it. So as you know, every time you travel, it's different. And no matter how prepared you are and how many things things you've done that you've been told to do that you can tick that you've you've complied with this and you've followed up with this and you've asked the right questions it's just different every time like I recently went to Longreach and it was a good experience but then you know just as much as that I went to Mackay a couple of years ago and same airline and it was a terrible experience so I've turned up at the airport before and been told oh you can't travel with that chair and I'm like well I have a dangerous goods approval form they're like oh yeah but you know those types of batteries it's like what's the use of having a form where you've given all the information if they're not going to rely on it and then other times I've turned up and they've said oh no you can't travel there's another wheelchair on the plane and I said well I booked and they booked. So you must have known this before. And it almost, we almost weren't allowed on that time because they said they couldn't do it. Yeah. So it's that kind of stuff. And then I've turned up at the airport at the other end and the chair, which you won't get until the baggage has actually once come out on the baggage, like, what do you call that thing? Carousel-y thing. The chairs Where wheelchairs there. don't belong because they're not no, baggage. They're not baggage. And that no one can lift them off there. And, and they shouldn't be. No one should because that's how it got broken. And then at the this was actually in Italy and I was crying because I'd been on a flight for so long and then my chair was broken and all they could say was don't cry. And I was like, well, you would cry too if you got somewhere and you were then going to be stuck in what was supposed to be a fun overseas holiday. So I think it's that separation from the chair not being able to go to the bathroom for all that amount of time is really stressful psychologically, but also on our bodies. It's and also I find demanding and very dangerous for us to do what we yeah. have to do on airlines and not go to the toilet for 20 hours. Yeah, which means you dehydrate yourself, and which isn't good, and then you don't feel well, and you watch everyone else on the overseas flights enjoying their champagne. <laughs> and usually I'm the first to say yes to champagne, but I have to say no. And also I think just like I'm sure all of us feel, it, the plane seats, I know they're uncomfortable for everybody, but for me they are so uncomfortable that I can be brought to tears because I can't, my legs are so short that I usually in my wheelchair my legs bend so as they would when you're sitting in a chair, but on the plane they have to be out 
flat straight the whole time and for me that's just incredibly uncomfortable so that part of it as well just makes me not want to do it is there a particular destination in all your travel or type of holiday you mentioned train travel that you're drawn to because it's more accessible or it's it's easier to cope with from a logistical sense as well yeah i think besides you know traveling in australia where you can drive somewhere and you don't have to deal with any other forms of, of transport. The best for me was um, Japan because the accommodation was super difficult in Japan, but outside of accommodation, I reckon it was the most accommodating and easy to get around that I've had, largely because of the trains. I was like a VIP. I'd turn up at the train station, show my ticket, and there'd be like I'd we'd get our own person who would usher us through the train station and like make people move out of the way and stand there with the ramp waiting for the Shinkansen to arrive and put the ramp out and then like wish us a good trip and then they'd be there at the other end waiting. It was like the best travel experience I've ever had with the wheelchair and the spot for the wheelchair was excellent the wheelchair bathrooms were really easy to use you can and you had a choice as well I could stay in my chair but during the journey I could also choose to sit in another chair so for me sometimes it's about moving from one thing to the other helps keep me comfortable rather than sitting in the same position for all that time whereas usually it's like you either have to sit in a different seat or you have to stay in your chair whereas this was made so that you could choose to go between both which was just I, you know you never get given choice so <laughs> that was like wow have hit the jackpot what year was this it was the year before covid so what was that, 2019? Yeah, 2019, yeah. I wonder if it's a cultural thing over there because they really do respect and cherish the ageing population. I wonder if that's got something to do with it. Yeah, maybe it does. I also love that um, when you say you treat it like a VIP and, and how nice they were, that's also like what it's not like to be treated like a like human being. Like it's yeah. just <laughs> it's amazing like what we – and it's just that, I guess, that expectation of like, oh, I and mean, it is like it's a great to hear you had such a great experience, but also that's like what it should that should be the norm. Mm. I think this experience is going to go really well. The itinerary that the team have created for us is exactly up our alley. All the things we love doing, going to art galleries, going out for dinner, hopefully doing some shopping, getting to see some wildlife. So I think it's going to be really good and I'm really excited to see how the access is in all of these places. Often it's difficult to find out all the information you need before you go somewhere and I think the team's done a really good job of finding out details. So we feel pretty good about it all and I think it's going to go really well. So Beth, tell us about your travel in Queensland because you obviously live up the road from me here in the beautiful Sunshine State. My um, weekend away was at the Gold Coast. The first day we went to Hota, so the home of the arts, which is a gallery um, at Surface Paradise, I think it was. And it was amazing. We loved it. My friend and I, who I went with, we're both in Brisbane and we'd never been there before. And we were like, how did we not have come here before now? But it was really good, both from just an great thing to do but also from an access point of view it was there were heaps of I don't think I've ever seen somewhere with so many um, disabled parks out the front and they were quite wide which was good so um, I could transfer from my chair 
into the car on the side without fearing like I was going to get run over. So that was good. And um, that's, that's nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and my friend who was getting my chair out of the back with the ramp also didn't fear that she was going to get run over. So that was good too. <laughs> and yeah, the gallery was really well set out. There was heaps of space. The staff were really nice. So they were helpful, always checking in that you knew your way without like seeming like you needed special attention, which is always nice. And we went to the cafe there for lunch. And probably my favourite bit of the trip was when we arrived, because this was the first thing we did and we arrived at the cafe and they had our table, you know, they had our booking ready and they said, oh, you've got a choice. You can sit inside at this table or outside at this table. And like I was saying before, you never get a choice. So I was like, wow, a choice. (laughs) So that really excited me. So we sat outside and the view was amazing and they already had a seat removed for me, which was great at the tables. So I didn't have to do the awkward, oh, no, where's this random chair going to go? And, yeah, the art was excellent. We saw a really good exhibition of um, female Indigenous artists from South Australia and I loved that exhibition. And there was also one about the Archibald winners throughout the years, which was really interesting as well. And it was really easy to get around. The lifts were really spacious and the accessible bathrooms were awesome. So it ticked all the boxes and we had a glass of champagne. So you got the champagne in the end, yeah. Exactly, because I could go to the bathroom. <laughs> I say I love how you say you're not adventurous, but really being 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 disabled when you think about it, and having to get out of a car where you may get hit either <laughs> from the back or the front or the side, or get stuck in your car, that's very adventurous. <laughs> Exactly. And that's, think I think, why I'm not, like, I don't seek out extra adventure because I'm already stressed all the time about what we Your day-to-day is an extreme sport yeah. in itself sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. And it makes, yeah, so I've had enough. <laughs> so I think accommodation, I don't know if you guys find, I think is always one of the hardest parts of the trip because there's so many things that we have to be able to do in our accommodation you know, like use the bathrooms and use the kitchen if there is one and get out onto the balcony and get through doorways and reach appliances and reach um, electrical sockets and all that kind of stuff that I find it so much more draining than being at home um, because at home... All of those things are key to survival, Beth. You need to be able to do those things to live. Yeah, yeah, especially when you've got to charge a chair every night. If you can't reach the socket, then you're in trouble. But, yeah, accommodation for me is always the hardest part, I think, of of a trip because then if it's not that, it's if it's not as accessible as you were told or that you were led to believe or that the photos indicated or that your research um, said it would be, it kind of mm. permeates into the whole trip because every day you're frustrated and every day, yeah, things don't go as you'd hoped they would. And also saying something is accessible and then you get there and there's always a step or is it also a common theme to our podcast mm. and I always times it by three, but a step into the unit and then a step into the bathroom, how is that accessible? What can we do about this to, to change this? Well, I think that's it, right? And Carney, you've you and I have had a conversation about this before, but I think that what maybe what happens, well, some people just don't, know that they should put any information some people know they should but they don't care but I think some people think I'm not going to put anything because our place isn't perfect but it's just Mm -hmm. about being open and honest about what there is so say you know our hotel rooms we don't have any um, wheelchair specific 
rooms. However, all of our doorways are X wide. There's no steps or there's one step from the main living room to the balcony or there's, you know, the bathroom has a turning circle of this or whatever. It's just about being up front because what is okay for me, like we've talked about before, Connie, wouldn't work for you, Mm -hmm. but I can make that informed choice then that it's going to work for me. When you're thinking about accessibility from accommodation, what do you have to factor in more if that makes sense? Well, even though I can walk a bit, if I can if I'm staying somewhere that my chair can't get around, it's pretty much useless for me because even if I can walk a little bit, then I can't reach what I'm walking to. So it's really not that much use. So even though the short reach and stuff is also a consideration, it's primarily whether or not my wheelchair will be able to navigate the space because in the bathroom there's always ways around like if the tap's too far back you know I've I've got some like a stick that I use to reach stuff if I can't reach it so I can use that or you know if an appliance isn't in the right spot I, I rarely travel alone someone can move it but if my chair can't navigate the space then I, it's not going to work for me. And you travel always with a per, like a support person? Or just, no, you know. I usually travel with family or friends. Yeah. Um, I haven't taken um, a support worker away before, um, but now that I travel a little bit more for my work, I might have to. But when I was younger, I travelled once or twice on my own and I won't do it again. It's For me, it's too hard. There's too many things that I run into that I can't manage, even just hotel doors opening and closing, you know, because often they're fire doors so they're really heavy and I can't even get in the door in the first place or if I am in, I can't get back out. Or one time I stayed on my own and the bed was made, the sheets were tucked in so tight that I literally, and I'm quite strong, like I don't have the best grasp but I'm quite strong, but I could not untuck the sheets. I had to ring the downstairs and be like, can someone come up and help me untuck the sheets on this bed? I don't know what it is with hotels. How do they do that? We just got back from Currumbin Wildlife Sanctuary and it was great. We really liked it, especially the section where it was like a rainforest with all the amazing birds. And in that section, the access was particularly good because they had everyone navigated the space through ramps that kind of went up and put you a bit higher um, up in the canopy of the trees. And so we got it to access it just like everybody else. And it was really nice being up there and it was really shaded and it had waterfalls. So it was really quite serene being in that space and listening to all the bird sound. It was a really fun day out. I think we're really excited about going to Hota, the home of the arts. We're really excited to go there, see what it's like. And we're always very excited to go out to nice places to eat food. So really looking forward to that as well. And I think just getting out of the city for a few days and being able to relax and take our mind off our busy lives is something that we're both really looking forward to. And one of the other things you, you did uh, in, on your trip was you went to the Corumban Wildlife Sanctuary. You want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it was fun. It was kind of weird being like in a super touristy place when you live down the road. And I haven't been there, I don't think, since I was a child and we took visitors from overseas there. But it was pretty fun. I love, my friend and I love animals, so it was nice to hang out with the animals. Um, It wasn't, it was fairly good to get around with the chair. Most of it was, um, most of it was accessible. There was one path that was really steep that had a sign saying, you know, wheelchairs, 
probably shouldn't go on this steep bit and I just didn't because, as I've said, I'm not very adventurous. But other than that, most of the places that you could go to that everyone else went to, I could get to. I think the, it was – I don't have the best sense of direction, but we could not find our way around. So I think that for people, um, you know, often signage is quite important for people with disability to know where they can and can't go and how to get there the best route. So I don't think the signage was the best. But other than that, it was cool. There was one part that was like a um, kind of man-made rainforest area where the ramps, which everybody took the ramps, kind of like boardwalky things up through so it got you a bit higher up in the trees and then you could see all the bird life and stuff and, and we loved that. It was really fun and even though birds are not normally my favourite, I get a bit freaked out by them sometimes, it was um, <laughs> They were beautiful and it was nice to, there was a waterfall and everything. So, yeah, we really liked that. And I think, if you know, if you had a family outing it's a and your kids had a disability or used a wheelchair, it's pretty good place to get around, I think. Any good food? Any uh, food recommendations or any good meals? Yes, we did eat very well. I had to, my friend and I both remarked when we were back, we're like, oh, God, we just need to eat some vegetables um, because we ate a lot more um, extravagant food than we normally would. But we went to a really good restaurant near where we were staying on the first night. I think it was called Miss Money Pennies. And it was quite a extravagant kind of venue, um, very performative kind of, but the food was really good. Yeah, it's flash. Yep, quite flash. And the um, access was great, had a really good bathroom and the food was delicious and the dessert we shared had like this, I don't know whether it was just dry ice or something, but kind of all smoky thing coming up as we were eating it. So it was very exciting and, yeah, it was delicious. I'm a bit nervous to ask, but tell us about your accommodation on the Gold Coast. It was a bit of a mixed bag. We stayed um, in an apartment. It wasn't really as spacious as it needed to be, especially considering my chair is so small. Anyone with a, a larger chair I think would have found it really difficult to navigate. And I think sometimes going back to that thing we were talking about before about hotels and needing to provide more information, I think that you know, there should also be some discussion around whether they need to change the layout of the room because we kind of got there and had to move the furniture around, like push beds together so that they were against a wall so that there was room for me to turn around and move the dining table out of the way so you could actually get past it. And unfortunately, it had a really nice balcony with great views of the ocean, but the step down to the balcony was too big for me to go over and know how to get back up without oh, damaging damn the lips on balconies. Why? I know. Just make it flat. Oh, everyone, and it looks flasher and more fancy when they're flat because you know whenever you go into yeah. a penthouse, I've got everything flat. So this was an accessible room. I'm gathering. No, they unfortunately the accessible room. I didn't do the booking, but it was booked out. But this one, by the photos, it looked like it was much more spacious than it was. So I, yeah, I, I wouldn't go back to that particular room, but. I would probably see whether the accessible room itself was uh, was a bit roomier and a bit better because the bathrooms were super pokey. You just got to ask for the penthouse. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was all really good. I think some of the things that weren't part of the actual itinerary were also our favourite. Just in the mornings we had a bit of downtime. So we walked along the beachfront down at Broad Beach and they have really nice wide flat paths that everyone walks around on and really easy for me to 
do the same. So it was nice just to be out and about and see everyone. I don't, I'm not really a beach goer, but I like to look at the beach from afar. So that was really nice and relaxing and just sitting by the water. And yeah, we had a really good time. The vibe in Queensland as a Queenslander is always good. Um, we've had a pretty mild winter and the weather looks really nice today. So a good day to be heading to the coast. So yeah, Queensland's as good as ever. So Beth, obviously you've got a PhD in social psychology and you do a lot of work around activism and advocacy for people with disabilities. How do we get the message out there about making really the world more accessible, not just for people with disabilities? How do we connect with the public that don't have disability, they think in their lives, which of course everyone does or will have? What can we do better? I think we're probably all on the same page that there's a long way to go, but we're already kind of starting to move in the right direction. And I always think that, you know, social change takes so long. And the first part is that kind of exposure, awareness, normalisation. So I think having us appear more in the media, you know, on a podcast, um, at events, and not always just because we're people with disability just mm. doing advocacy, talking about what's in the news or, yeah, advocacy, but also just being a person mm-hmm. like everybody else who might put their perspective out on a story that's in the news that day or who, you know, if I go to a meeting, who leads a meeting and people are like, oh, always a bit surprised that it's someone who looks like me that's in that position. I think that's the first step. So things like this podcast and people listen to it and then they hear a bit more as well about, yeah, we can do all these things. So it's a really strength-based approach, like we're getting, we're working in this area or we're going on this holiday or whatever, but also that there are challenges and then slowly kind of teaching people about what those challenges are, but then about all the little things that can be done to just make it easy for us. It doesn't, it's not about getting everything perfect. It's like what we are talking about before. It's just about giving us information helping us to understand what we can and we can't do and then making those small changes to make it easier for us to do all those things that we want to be able to do and should be able to do just like everyone else. If there is one particular thing you could change about travel to make it more accessible, what would that be? I think it is the information that everyone makes available because I think that's easy. It's a really easy first step. So if you're a transport company tell us whether it's accessible tell us what you need tell us how it's going to work tell us what we've got to bring tell us what we've got to do tell us when we'll have our chair when we won't if you're a hotel tell us if you've got an accessible room tell us what that means if you don't give us the dimensions of the room give us photos tell us who we can call to ask specific questions you know I think that information is power for us but it's also power for them because they can be comfortable that they're providing us with the information we need to make an informed choice. So we're less likely to get cranky at them or to have problems when we're there. And saying something is accessible doesn't mean wheelchair accessible. It doesn't mean accessible to vision impaired. You've got to say exactly what you mean by being accessible. Yeah. I love that that idea of having a person to contact because that that can be the battle I've found is in 2023, it's hard to talk to a human. It's all online and it's all bot chat and AI stuff, which is great in many ways, but I think having a person that you could ring and contact and then they would have awareness training and 
and just have a, an idea of what some of the questions they will be asked. I would love to be able to ring someone and rather than go, oh, is it accessible, wheelchair accessible? And they go, oh, I think so. That's a, the thing I get all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or what do you mean? What do you mean is it? Yeah, it's yeah. flat. There you go. All right, yeah. sick. Yeah. Except for the three steps. But I think you're right. And the thing is, just to add to that, because – we all know we're such loyal customers, right? Like once something is good for us, yes. we're on it. So because I know not every single, you know, travel and tourism um, company can afford to have someone on board who does that service. But if you think of the big mm-hmm. hotel chains and the big travel um, transport companies, if they did it, mm-hmm. We're more likely, like we'll all always stay at the Hilton or the, I don't know if we're meant to name, name drop here, but or the Sheraton or the Meritons or the, you know, Mantras or whatever, if they offer that service and we know we can get the information we need, it doesn't mean every small place has to do it. So in the, if they start that trend, it'll probably become easier for people, smaller businesses to do it as well. And also wheelchairs are very similar sizes to prams, especially twin prams, ageing population. I say it every podcast, but it's not just about people with disabilities, even though we are humans and we deserve to be able to travel but and want to travel and have the means to travel. So we are customers. But I think that if you started to make it accessible to, to us and you're accessible to everyone. Yeah, totally. Thanks for coming on the show, Beth. We, we've done it. We've got to the end. You were such an amazing chat. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Access That, presented by Queensland. We'll be back again soon with more from the people who have been there and Access That. In the meantime, head over to queensland.com for more on accessible travel.